deep down, all of us long for a king. C.S. Lewis once said, No fairy tale ever starts with the words, Once upon a time, there was a president. No. Fairy tales begin, Once upon a time, there was a king. You see, there is something in our imaginations that default to that category. But why? Why? The Bible says it's because we were created by and for a king. And though we have wandered so far away from our creator, king, he has not wandered from us. In our pains and our sorrows, in our tragedies and in our sins, he whispers in our hearts that he's coming to rescue us. And in our text today, the king is here. The king finally has arrived. Let's meet the king, shall we? We come today to Mark chapter 11. Verses 1 through 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Father, we are so grateful for these words. And Father, today we are gathered to sit under these words, and we are here to sit under the word that they point us to, your precious Son, our glorious King. And Father, we have not come here today to check some religious box. We have come to kneel at the feet of our King and worship Him. And we pray that your Spirit, as we... Examine these words today will lead our hearts and our spirits 
to the worship and the honor and the praise and the glory of our wondrous King. And Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is an extremely significant moment in Mark's gospel. And an extremely significant moment in the life of Jesus. Jesus, after a long journey, has finally arrived in Jerusalem. And this is the city above all other cities who was looking for a king. They were looking for a king. This is essentially the city's branding. <laughs> Huntsville's branding is, we send rockets to space, right? Jerusalem's branding was, we're waiting for a king. That's like what the city was all about. <laughs> They're waiting for a king. You see, hundreds of years prior, Yahweh, God, promised to send Jerusalem a divine king. And so ever since, the people have been on pins and needles waiting for him to arrive. And so when Jesus rides into the city, it is a grand entrance. Thousands of people are cheering, spreading their cloaks on the ground before him and waving palm branches. These are all the things you do to greet a king. It's their equivalent of us rolling out the red carpet, having marching bands line the street, and waving flags. It's the same thing. This is how you greet a king. But the king who turns up is a very different kind of king than they were expecting. This is not the royalty we're used to. Back in chapter 8 of Mark's gospel, Jesus made it very clear that he was not the king everyone was expecting. He is an altogether different kind of leader and king than we have ever seen before. And now as Jesus goes public with his kingship, we cannot miss how radically different Jesus is. Mark highlights for us three unique elements of Jesus' kingship. And these characteristics of Jesus are what we have always wanted and needed in a leader but never actually seen before. We've never seen anything like this king. So number one in your outline, Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign over all things. All leaders have some measure of control, right? Some measure of control. But however much control they have, they're never in complete control, are they? Even the most narcissistic dictator, though he can rig elections and kill anyone who opposes him, he still isn't completely sovereign over all affairs. You see, he can still be overthrown. He can still be assassinated. But with Jesus, it's different. Jesus is in complete control of everything that is going on. Look at verses 2 and 3. 
verses 2 and 3. Jesus said, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Now, this is really specific instruction, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, hey, uh, go find me a ride somewhere. Y'all go call me an Uber, and I'll wait here for whoever shows up. That's not how this is, is it? This is extremely specific instructions. He says, go to this specific village, and this specific thing is what you'll find there. This specific circumstance is what you will encounter, and this specific thing is going to happen. This specific question is going to be asked of you, and I want you to respond in this specific way. Do you see? And guess what? Everything happens exactly as Jesus said it would. We see this characteristic, too, in how Jesus refers to himself. Look at verse 3. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals a man and says to him, go tell others what the Lord has done for you. Any religion or atheist or agnostic that makes the claim that Jesus never said he was God, has not read Mark's gospel. Jesus is claiming to be the Lord. The Lord. And he says it multiple times. You see, everything is happening just exactly how Jesus wants it to happen. Everything. You see, this king rules with divine power. Uniquely divine power. He is in complete control. And the disciples need to know this. Because when horrifying things begin to happen to Jesus, and they're about to, when those horrifying things begin to happen, the disciples need to know that they are happening exactly as Jesus wants them to. Disciples need to know that, and you and I need to know that also. Because horrifying things happen to us. And horrifying things are going on around us and around the world today. And so when we turn on the news or we scroll through social media, and we see the world seemingly spiraling downward, it's easy for us to think that someone's asleep at the switch. And we need to know, we need to be reminded that that is not the case. Everything that is happening is happening exactly as our sovereign king wants it to. Everything. We need to know that the king who is sitting on the throne is actually in control. Now, everyone loves how kind and forgiving Jesus is, and we love to talk about that. Of course we do. But you see, it's not enough for Jesus to be kind and forgiving 
if he's not in control. That actually does us no good. His kindness and forgiveness doesn't help us if he's not sovereign, if he is not on the throne. But if Jesus is kind and forgiving and in total control, then we can sleep easy at night. The news won't bother us as bad. Social media won't stress us out as badly, knowing that our king is in control and everything is happening as he wants it to. And then, of course, his kindness and forgiveness can actually make a difference for us, an eternal difference. That's number one. Jesus is sovereign. Number two, Jesus is humble. He's humble. In our world, power leads to self-importance, doesn't it? The further someone advances up the societal ladder, the more full of themselves they become. And the less they care about those farther down the ladder. Power breeds scandal and corruption. We see this all the time, don't we? Power breeds corruption. The people at the top don't believe society's rules even apply to them. They don't even apply. If you've watched the news at all in the last month or so, you've seen that. They believe they are above the rules and they are above you and me. But with Jesus, we have an entirely new kind of leader and king. In Jesus, we have someone who is in complete control at the very top of the ladder. And yet is also radically humble and meek. He is Emmanuel. Not God above us. He is God with us. He is the God that does not step on us on his way up the ladder. But with his extravagant and infinite love, he works his way down the ladder to every rung, to every one of us. We see that in this passage today. In one sense, yes, this is a standard royal arrival. Kings and warriors have ridden into Jerusalem before with crowds cheering and waving palm branches. So this is not unique. Kings have done this, warriors have done this. But one detail here is dramatically different. Any other ruler or warrior riding into Jerusalem would be riding on a mighty war horse to reflect their superiority and to project their strength. But what does Jesus ride into Jerusalem on? A colt. <laughs> it's a wee little baby donkey thing. <laughs> Jesus does not come on a mighty steed, but on something you'd put your toddler on. This would be like the President of the United States riding into Huntsville on a tricycle. This is silly. 
<laughs> this is absurd. No king does this. No ruler does this. But our king does. You see, because Jesus is not your average king. He is not about his own grandiosity. He's about humility. And hey, Jesus is not going off script here. He's following the script. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 9, there is this promise of the king that God is going to send to Jerusalem. Quote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a colt. That's what God has always promised because that's what we've always needed. We don't need a king in an ivory tower. We need a king in a manger. We don't need a king in an armored limousine. We need a king on a donkey. We need God with us, not God above us. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus is a pushover. <laughs> Far from it. I've always loved the Discovery Channel. I can't ever get my kids or my wife to watch it with me, but I've always loved the Discovery Channel. They think it's boring. I, I can be entertained by it for hours. So let me give you a fun fact from the Discovery Channel. Did you know that a crocodile has a bite of 3,700 pounds per square inch? I mean, that could snap your leg in an instant. That's powerful enough to capture and drown a 600-pound wildebeest in a matter of seconds. Just a matter of seconds. But what's so amazing about this to me is that a mother crocodile carries her eggs in her mouth. The jaws that are so powerful as to crush a wildebeest are also gentle enough to protect the most fragile eggs without cracking them. Gentleness does not mean a lack of power. It's power under complete control. It is power being used to protect rather than destroy. In the Old Testament, God said this about the coming divine king. Quote, a bruised reed he will not break. End quote. Now this is remarkable. <laughs> Considering the infinite number of things Jesus can break. He's the most powerful being in the universe. The most powerful being in existence. But he says to the broken, to the bruised, to the hurting, to the fragile, you're safe with me. I will not crush you. I will not break you. 
for I am gentle and lowly of heart. My friends, we can trust our deepest wounds to this king. We can trust our most painful bruises to him. All of Jesus' power is being deployed to protect us, not to harm us. Jesus does what no other king does. He uses his power to serve. To serve. And this is actually a compelling apologetic for the truth of Christianity above all other religions. Jesus is so magnificent that it's hard to imagine anyone could make him up. It would take a Jesus to invent a Jesus. Jesus combines characteristics and traits that we find virtually impossible to fit together. Impossible. Jesus combines high majesty with the greatest humility. He joins the strongest commitment to justice with astonishing mercy. He has genuine tenderness without any weakness. He has fiery boldness without any harshness. He has towering confidence without any ego. He sits in the highest position of power and yet is completely approachable, even by little children. He always insists on truth but he always bathes it in love and grace. And on and on and on and on it goes with Jesus. There has never been and never will be anyone like him. Either in fiction or in nonfiction, there just simply has never been anyone like him. We haven't even been able to come up with anyone like him. And that's why we worship him. That's why we worship him. I heard a pastor say one time, Jesus is not too great to notice you. He's too great not to notice you. If you had 10 million years to sit and think with a pad of paper and a pen, you could never invent a character like Jesus. Not in 10 million years. The greatest of all is also the meekest of all. Oh, but Mark doesn't stop there. There is one final characteristic of Jesus that is the most remarkable of all, which is point three in your outline. Jesus is self-sacrificing. Self-sacrificing. After that verse that I read in Zechariah chapter 9 that talks about the coming of the king, the next two verses show us what that king will do. What he will do. Listen closely to those two verses. 
This is Zechariah 9, verses 10 through 11. Verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. So God says this king will free the captives. He's going to end warfare. He's going to take away weapons and war horses and bring peace on the entire earth. Waves and waves and waves of joy and rest is what this king will bring. But how? How is he going to accomplish that? It's because of a little phrase tucked away into these verses I just read. It's the phrase, because of the blood. Because of the blood. Our meek, colt-riding king is going to achieve all these things. Because blood is going to be spilled. His blood. The Jesus who is not above riding on a colt is also not above hanging on a cross. He's not above opening up his veins for you and for me. To pay the penalty for our sins in our place. You see, the crowds shouted as he rode into Jerusalem, Hosanna! Hosanna! Which means, save us! Save us! But they had no idea what they were really asking for. He had indeed come to save them. But not at all like they wanted. They wanted a mighty king that would come and destroy the rule, the oppressive rule of Rome. And when it became obvious that that is not why Jesus came, then these very same crowds who shouted, Hosanna, 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 would just one week later shout, crucify him, crucify him. The same crowds. And ironically, that is what will save them. Jesus will hang where they deserve to hang, absorbing the full wrath of God for their sin so that there will be no wrath left for them or for you and me. This is the king we've always wanted. We have always longed for. Even in our human leaders, we've always yearned for some kind of sacrifice from them. 
But we're always the ones doing the sacrificing. And we just want just one time will a leader or a king or a president sacrifice for us and we never see it. We're sick and tired of leaders who dole out rules to us but are above those rules for themselves. But somewhere within us is a memory trace of a greater leader, a greater king. And we have always yearned for him. And that's why every great story starts with once upon a time. There was a king. We have this trace memory of this great king in our imaginations. And that's why every fairy tale is about a king. But not just any king. The greatest stories, the greatest fairy tales are about a rescuing king. A self-sacrificing king king, one who risks his life to save the damsel in distress. But this king that we read about in Mark's gospel, he doesn't risk his life to save those in distress, he gives his life. He lays down his life to save those in distress, to save you, and to save me. In our place, condemned, he stood. Whether you know it or not, this is the king you've always longed for, who is powerful above imagination, but is also gentle and lowly. He is a king who will go the whole way for us. Not part of the way, not half of the way, but the whole way. There's no give and take with Jesus. He gives it all and we just receive. We bring him nothing and he gives us everything. Jesus goes the whole way for us. Even to a cross. Our king has given up everything for us, even his own precious life for you and for me. Oh, and um, by the way, our king isn't dead anymore. He's not dead anymore. And that's what we'll celebrate next week.